Welcome to the Disruptive Mindset Podcast, where we embark on a journey in our mini-series titled Beyond Labels, Unleashing the Power of Diverse Minds. I'm Emma, your host, and as a co-founder and CEO of Disruptive Hiring, I'm passionate about exploring the potential of diverse talent. Throughout this series, we'll delve into critical topics such as next generation and neurodiversity, evolving values, and the impact of technology on the way we work. And I'm joined by Carmen Jones, who's going to introduce herself. Hi, everyone. I'm Carmen Jones, your co-host, a principal consultant at Wipro specialising in talent and change. What a great opportunity this podcast has been. Understanding the unique strengths of the next generation, diversity, and how values have evolved. Conversations have been inspiring and what great fun it's been speaking with all the dynamic individuals. Welcome to our podcast, Spotlighting a Remarkable Professional. In this episode, we delve into an extraordinary journey of Emma Parkin, a seasoned expert with seven years experience in her field. Presently, she serves as strategic campaign manager at BAE Systems Digital Intelligence. Showcasing her prowess in driving success, notably Emma's exceptional talent and dedication have earned her the prestigious accolade of being a fast-tracked next generation leader. Tune in to learn from her inspiring journey, her story and valuable insights. Emma, I'm going to dive straight into questions. Welcome, Emma. Thank you for um, having me. One of well, well, my first question to you is I'd like to tell you a little bit about you and your work and how you got into the position that you did. Okay, I, I always kind of think that my story is just so boring, and then Pete, I tell people and they always say oh, that's not boring. So maybe um maybe I'm not as boring as I think I am. But I um I went through school as as most people do. It's, have to. Um, I didn't take a gap year between going to school and university. Um, I was quite set on going from to university from my A-levels. Um, so I went to a private school and I guess the they have very much the mindset of you go to university or you don't succeed. <laughs> That's what you're told. And as a 16 to 18 year old, you kind of just believe that, right? Um, so went to university. I went to the University of Sheffield and did a master's in chemical engineering. So wow. that was four years. Um, I think well the great thing about engineering degrees is student finance will pay for your master's I say this this was true when I went to university I'm assuming it's still true now um, so I thought why not take an extra year of, of studying and then um, so that was that was all good fun it was it was difficult don't get me wrong it was a challenge um, but I'm really glad and proud that, that I've got that that degree um, and then at the end of my university degree, I, again, didn't want to take any gap years or anything. I wanted to go straight into work. So I was applying for any graduate scheme going. There were some that interested me more than others. But um, again, there's this pressure when you're at university, you're around, everyone's applying for jobs. And it's fine when everyone's applying and then people start getting jobs and everyone gets a bit twitchy going, what if I'm not going to get a job? And then your friends get jobs and then it gets even worse. <laughs> Um, but then hopefully by the end of the year, most people have found found jobs and graduate schemes. So I um, joined a company called Kinetic. They're a UK um, defence and security company. I joined their um, graduate scheme, which was a two year scheme and had eight three month placements. So um, some people go, oh, wow, three months is really short. Like, how can you be effective and learn anything? But 
if you asked me to cut four of those placements out and only do four six month placements that would I'd really struggle um so for me that was perfect getting that rotation and exposure to so many different things in a short space of time um I focused that graduate scheme around maritime autonomy so nothing to do with my degree but um it was really really fascinating you know being thrown into this world of um, autonomous vehicles and maritime that were totally alien and you know just learning something new every day being surrounded by experts because it's cutting edge technology um, spent two years seeing different parts of the business and then um, unfortunately kinetic didn't have a role for me in maritime autonomy so I, I started looking externally and joined um, an SME called autonomous surface vehicles um, I went for my interview and I said, made this big deal about saying how I wanted to join an SME, having worked for a big company. And now I wanted to see, see what life was like on the other side of the road, um, got the job. And on the day I joined, I was told that we were being taken over by L3 Harris. So I felt like a bit of a fool. Um, but that was fascinating. So I was their technical sales engineer. Um, and again, uh, being working I know we were being taken over but still very much acted like an SME and seeing that process of um what it's like when you're being absorbed into a bigger company was was fascinating and also getting the exposure and experience of working at an SME where it really is just a case of we have a job you're free so you need to do it because there's no one else to do it uh, was was amazing for someone so young and gave me such good experience um and then the pandemic hit and um, I was living in Portsmouth at the time and was four hours drive from my family. So wanted to be closer to them. Um, so looked to switch roles. Um, so I joined a company called Johnson Controls as an account manager um, for various reasons. It just wasn't a good cultural fit. I think it's quite hard to get things like that right when everything's being yeah, done virtually. Way, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it just wasn't a good cultural fit. So then six months later, joined um, BAE, which was just a completely different joining experience because that was also in the pandemic and it was um, it couldn't have been more different, but in a good way. Yeah, and it's really interesting um, because you you covered some really important points there. Number one was when you left university, right? And how many people, when they're coming up to the end of their, their degrees, you know, so you've had this sort of four years and you're coming up to the end of the degree and it's like, oh my God, job where am I going to go what am I going to do you know so yeah. it must be hugely stressful yeah and and I don't know the universities have career departments right that they can help you with but they've got thousands and thousands of students studying a, a massive variety of different degrees that the help that you get is reasonably generic or that was my experience and you're kind of left to your own devices and it's sometimes quite horrible when I wasn't going for chemical engineering graduate schemes I decided that wasn't for me but a lot of people were and you're being pitted against your peers in a way because there's only so many graduate schemes you can apply for right and um, it's, it's a pretty horrible time to be honest <laughs> yeah I'm sure that's lots of people feel that yeah, that, that's that's really interesting, Emma. And I think, you know, you kind of say that you weren't going for kind of chemical engineering um, kind of graduate schemes. That's obviously what you'd chosen to study at university. And, and kind of how did that kind of come about? So you you've you've studied chemical engineering. How did you fall into that? And then did you know you wanted to go into maritime kind of services after that? 
absolutely not. <laughs> I am. Um, I for a long time I wanted to do psychology and be a psych- psychiatrist. I think this came from me reading crime books, probably a little bit too young when I started reading crime books. Um, and I was fascinated with like human crime and psychiatrists and things like that. But um, psychology is a degree just the I always say I don't want this to sound really bad, but I always say it's kind of like law where you have loads of people that do it. But actually then becoming a lawyer or a psychiatrist, there's there's so many more steps at the end of that degree that you have to get to to get there. Um, and it was I think you it was a long time ago to become a psychiatrist. I think it was another seven years training after the end of your psychology degree. So I'd have been in my 30s before I got where I started, where I wanted to be. Um so just looked at different options and my uh, my at this point, my A-levels had already been chosen and I was very much a science person. I quite like the black and white. It's right or it's wrong. There's no grey. <laughs> that suits me. And then um, uh, I hadn't picked physics. So a lot of the engineering disciplines I, I couldn't apply for because I didn't do physics A-level. But for chemical engineering, you had to do maths and some need you needed to do chemistry. And I did both of those. So that was... Um, it just suited what I what I, the A levels I'd chosen, and also it was interesting to me because I, I love learning about science and new concepts. But then moving on to at the end of my degree, I what the one thing my masters did teach me was I definitely don't want a technical role. As much as I love sitting in a lecture theatre and someone telling me how the world works, me then having to go and figure that out myself just that doesn't suit me and I quite like speaking with people rather than being sat in a lab waiting for results to come back and then analyzing them it just didn't interest me enough so um was applying for graduate schemes in in just different areas and actually I applied for kinetics at the the time they had a consulting graduate scheme um but unfortunately and I got a place on that um but unfortunately they decided after offering me a place that they weren't going to run it that year so then switched me back to their engineering more technical focused graduate scheme um which turned out fine in the end but um yeah nothing I've generally found nothing in your career is ever planned I was quite um I think I I don't know because I never went to state school but in private school they're very much you know always think about the next step how are you going to get there what's the next thing you're going to do and when I got into Kinetic and I, I was speaking to these people that were more senior and above me, and I was like, right, OK, so how do I become you? What, like, I'm not saying I need to be there tomorrow, but what are the steps I should follow? And everyone just said it just kind of happens. And it's it's so frustrating because that's really not a helpful answer. Um, but now I'm five years into my career. And I reflect back, I'd say the same thing, which is awful. <laughs> things just happen you happen to be in the right room or you're speaking to your line manager and it just happened to be at the right time I think there's behaviors that you can demonstrate that would change what happened but you can't control your career it's impossible but nobody tells you that and as a 21 year old graduate that's just not helpful (laughs) No, because I suppose as a 21-year-old graduate, you want to, you know, you want to get there, you want to do that, you want to, you know, and um, yeah, it's, but so, so what am I hearing from that? It's sort of right time, right place, networking. Yes, definitely, definitely. And yeah. just like a, a can-do attitude, you know, it might not be something that interests you 
immediately but if you've got a bit of time on your hands and you help someone out I strongly believe that they'll then think of you when more interesting opportunities come around yeah so 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 now that you've so you've done your, your first few jobs and and you you've come through and you you know you're, you're starting to get some of those wins so so what what are the what are the top three things that you pay attention to when you move companies now so if you were to sort of not saying you are what were the things that you would pay attention to as a sort of next generation of leader um definitely like the first thing is the vibe that I would get from the person interviewing me because it's it's likely they would be either your line manager or, or in your team and and they also already work there so you can generally tell if someone's happy the way they ask questions or answer your questions how passionate they passionately they feel about the company so the the vibe that you get off that person or the team interviewing you is is massive for understanding their sense of happiness because they're they're where you want to be right if they're happy then it's likely you'll be happy and if they're the kind of people that you get on with um it gives you a bit of an insight into the culture of that business um Another thing would be what I've heard about that company before as an outsider. So um, I know you can switch industries, but most people will only work in a couple of industries their whole career. And you will be aware of the, 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 the big players in that space and the reputation that they have. You'll hear snippets from customers or different people that you've worked there and left. And that definitely has a big impact um, on, on how you see a company. Um, and, and whether you'd want to go for a role there and then I guess um, the last thing for me the, the really big thing for me is just flexible flexibility of working um, I, I wouldn't take a job where they said you have to be nine to five in the office five days a week it just that's a, that's a red line for me just wouldn't do it I completely get that I think um, COVID has had like a massive kind of impact on that really and uh, really moved the needle for so many people on this kind of flexible working, this hybrid model that's now um, kind of implemented across most companies and most industries. So no, I, I totally kind of I mean, resonate with that. You must be seeing that with your clients actually, Carmen, you know, a, mm. a lot of this um, sort of flexibility and hybrid working and, you know, because I suppose that's the, the, the sort of area that you're in. It, it definitely. And there's the, this drive kind of, you know, to increase productivity kind of from a hybrid working model, kind of how do you increase that very much kind of looking at different tools, different facilitation techniques or different technology as well. So that is definitely the ask from a lot of uh, a lot of clients at the moment. Um, yeah. So, no, I, I think that's I, I can resonate with all of the things you've said there, uh, Emma. I think you're you're right, like company reputation, kind of I, as I heard, kind of the interviewing vibes so that kind of culture that they kind of uh, let on as they're interviewing. They're all massively important things. And I think, you know, to me, that kind of really plays into kind of maybe your values as well. Um, so I wondered, you know, as you're I think you're on like your fourth move at the moment. You've just moved in, you know, in your fourth company. Have you kind of understood what your values are and how do they kind of play into your decision making around things? Yeah, so I, I had a think about this and um, I think it's your values change through life um, and, and where you are in your career. Because if you'd have asked me when I was applying for graduate schemes, um, one, I wasn't in a position to be that picky. And also because you're earning less, the biggest driver was salary. So if somebody paid you even five grand more, 
that's that's a massive increase on on your what your the quality of life that you will have whereas now I'm in like a mid-career and I'm, I'm earning more there are other things that I would value over an extra five grand on my pay so um I think the biggest thing for me is the opportunities that are going to be thrown my way. So developing me as a person, that's really important. Um, and, and caring about me as, as a person and not just seeing me as a resource, you know, how that company sees me and, and ultimately treats me is probably the most important thing because, you know, a salary will make you happy for so long and then you'll realize that the job's just not worth it <laughs> and you'll end up moving somewhere else. So um, I do think that your values change and, and I, I probably will have a different answer maybe in 10 years time as um, my values have changed again. I mean, I think I think that's I think that's hugely important thing. And I think it's really interesting that you say that because, you know, money, money is an extrinsic thing, but we, we need it to make choices and we need it to make the world go around. But actually, when you get in, in and you've been working for a little while, you know, things like we want to feel valued, you know, we want to feel heard, we, you know, we want to feel that when we turn up that, you know, we're, we're a person, not just a, you know, not just a thing to go off. So I think that that's, um, I think that's a really interesting thing, actually, that you just said. Um, so I know as a next generation, generation leader, you're on fast track at the moment, I'm not surprised, Emma. <laughs> um, so what, what are your thoughts, you know, as a leader, you're going to come into managing people. And it's something that's really interesting being a neurodiverse individual myself um and I know Carmen is very passionate in this area so what what's your thought about running a neurodiverse team or have you had any thoughts about how you know that might work out as a dynamic I mean I think it's massively important I was um like again I was trying to think about examples and I, I don't think at least not knowingly I've come across um a lot of people that you would categorize as neurodiverse but I've had other examples from different experiences and I think it's I, I went back to when I was being prepped by my school and um, for my university interviews and uh, they brought in external people that kind of grilled you but in a nice way <laughs> semi-nice way um, to prep you and somebody said to me you've not studied physics do you think that will you know how how do you think that will impact how they see you and how you will succeed in your degree and I went back and said well you don't want everybody to have studied exactly the same thing and had exactly the same experiences because then you won't ever learn anything I will come from a different perspective from my peers because I haven't studied physics there will be things that I needed to catch up on and yes I sat in my first physics degree and was like oh wow this is this is a challenge um but I you know I still came out with a 2-1 and I I'm sure that I had different perspectives from my from my peers and it's the same thing with um you know neurodiversity they will see the world in a different way and have experienced the world in a different way and bringing that insight and perspective into your project team is really really important because that's the only way that you're going to make or create an outcome or a product or whatever your team is working on resonate with with people is that it, it's the multiple perspectives have gone in so then what you the, pro, the product you produce resonates with everyone else and the, the output and I think that's really interesting because I mean do you think companies are becoming more accepting of neurodiversity and, and seeing the value 
Definitely. I mean, we've in in my industry, it's actually something people are targeting now as they want to actively hire people that are neurodiverse because they recognize that skill set is highly valuable. And it's not something that that they're, they're utilizing at the moment. So there's actually an active push to hire more people with those backgrounds. Um, but I also think more people are becoming aware that they have that, that those traits within them as it becomes um, not societally acceptable, but I guess more people read about it in, in articles and become more aware of it. You then start thinking, oh, that I have that. And then more people are getting diagnosed. And then I guess companies are helping them by putting in place different mechanisms to make their work life easier and um, have more impact on project teams. Mm. Uh, absolutely. And, and Carmen, I mean, I'm really interested with your experience, actually, with neurodiversity. Yeah, no, you, you're right. And I, I completely hear what you're saying the same, Emma. So, um, uh, so I'm, I'm also neurodiverse myself. Um, and it's something that um, uh, kind of I see as a quite a big benefit because I see things, I think, as you're right there, as you clearly explained, Emma, I see things in a different way sometimes to how other people see things. I'm a very visual person, but... You know, and I'm a very, you know, my verbal language can be very strong. However, my written language isn't so strong, but my strengths then play out in other areas. And I think there is this education that almost needs to be done um, to people in how to get the best out of people when they do think differently mm. and when they do kind of work in a different way. Um, but you're also right. So kind of as you say, there's kind of criteria and driving factors now in, inside your organization to potentially increase the neurodiversity. We're seeing the exact same here uh, within Wipro. We we are driving and we we do want people that think differently, kind of act differently because they bring a different skill set and a different way of doing things, which is really important to harness that. Um but I think there still needs to be further education to people in how to get the best out of people, how to manage those people and to ensure that you create a really safe working environment where people aren't judged and where people can be themselves. And I think that's what's really important. I think that's a really, really valuable um, and valid point, uh, Carmen. Yeah. And I I also think because neurodiverse is, is kind of one angle, but you've also then got like the next generation which is coming in. And I think it's kind of been touched on a little bit here, but as a, like the next generation, we're looking at like generation Z, they're coming through at the moment. And, you know, I think it's, you know, they're going to be quite a large kind of population of the workforce quite soon. Like they were already kind of filtering through and they they've actually got different values and neurodiversity and kind of almost being different is very, very acceptable within that generation. Yeah. And I think it plays in a slightly different kind of um, kind of working practices that maybe, you know, employers might need to start thinking about kind of how to cultivate the best from them and how to make a really inclusive and diverse workforce, which is very acceptable to that next generation. Um, I, I, Emma, I don't, I don't know whether you've got any kind of thinking here or kind of key thoughts here about what employers might need to offer for that next generation as well yeah so I am um, I'm very much uh well I'd say that I'm a, a young on the young end of millennial I don't think I would class myself as a gen z I think I might get kicked out that crew um <laughs> but I'm kind of on the middle ground of I'm you know I'm, I'm kind of similar to you Carmen where you're you're at the bottom end of millennial but not quite a gen z um 
so I went I, I went and spoke to my sister so she's two years younger than me so still wouldn't class herself as a Zen, Gen Z but um, has had a totally different career to me and I think is much more in touch with with the Gen Z approach I guess so I, I went and asked her what would be important to her to get her perspective and funnily enough her first thing was flexible working so uh, my sister works for a company that's based in the UK but lives in Portugal so she's taking flexible working to a whole other level I, love I just meant that's different times <laughs> um, but you know like her company have the approach of as long as you work within UK time zones you can live wherever you want and that's your choice right so that's um that that was the first thing that she came to her to, to on her list funnily enough the second thing was um, private healthcare. <laughs> now, this is something that I did not expect to be on my sister's list, um, but it's it's something I definitely value now as as I maybe like a, a millennial. Um, but you know, she says she's seeing in Portugal, you know, that the healthcare systems that governments are providing, I just just can't take the growing population, and they've got funding issues. We are certainly seeing that in the UK. So having that um, as as a safety net she said is, is really important important and um I guess like that that surprised me only from my sister but uh, that was her second thing and then the last thing was training and development so uh that, that you know just making sure that you develop yourself and I guess that that applies more to Gen Z because they're in the early parts of their career right so they're going to have less experience so that training and development is is much more important to them than someone who would be at the late the later stages of their career so um, I guess going back to treating employees as people and not resources. Yeah, absolutely. So, so do you think um, sustainability is part of a decision making process? I mean, I know it's something that Carmen is is um, been uh, fully um engaged in and, and just bought a, a big white paper on sustainability actually which is uh, you know so I'm, I'm sort of asking her area but I'm really curious because to know whether you know sort of your generation or the next generation down would would, would whether would even enter onto the, the thinking yeah I mean I think it's it's definitely a much bigger topic now and I guess again because they're younger the environment is something they're going to have to live with the consequences for for decades longer than again someone coming to the end of their career so it's definitely much more on the radar I guess I did some thinking about whether this was something that would stop me from applying for a job or not and it's really hard to say I mean you know chemical engineering everyone works in oil and gas right so <laughs> that's and, and funnily enough that was one of the reasons that put me off from going for those jobs was it I just saw it as a dying industry um, and not that it's I think very much still think it will exist until I die, but I guess it wasn't where the exciting technological developments were happening for from a traditional chemical engineering perspective. Um, so go, yeah, going back to sustainability, I think it's never stopped me from applying for a job, <clears throat> but I'm not saying that wouldn't be the case in the future. So for me, like. I've gone from money being the biggest driver. Now it's opportunities and growth development. Maybe as I get a bit older and and I've got more experience under my belt, looking for for a company that is sustainable and lives and breathes those values could potentially be become a bigger thing for me. Um, but I think it's it's so hard to know 
how sustainable a company is because they all have the same thing on their website right they've all got the same carbon neutral goals that are driven by the government and they all have these initiatives and case studies that they can point to but you don't really know how much they put that into practice until you're you're part of that company and you see you know do they do they give companies days to go and you know take take part in sustainable activities such as you know planting trees do they you know how do they what do they do with their sites if they've got big sites do they have solar farms things like that you it's really hard to find that out when you're on the outside and then you only really find that out when you're on the inside so it's really hard to say it's something that I would pick a job on because it's it's such a hard area to kind of dig into yeah that's um you're really you hit a really key point there and actually the article which I've uh, which has just been published so thank you Emma for, for mentioning that um was actually around the recruitment process actually to be more transparent and ensure that the recruiters or the the kind of people taking through people through that recruitment process are actually armed with those kind of um kind of answers because I think that should be kind of questions which people are asking as they're going through a recruitment process like you're right like have you got solar panels to support your office? What's your travel policy? What's, you know, what? how do employees kind of get involved in sustainable kind of actions and stuff? And I think if those were kind of questions which people were asking through recruitment processes, then recruiters as such would have to be armed with those kind of answers. Um, so, yeah, no, you're right. It, it should be more transparent through that process to help with decision making. No, you're absolutely right. Um, so what, so if you were kind of going to give advice to, you know, your employer or to employers out there to make more of an inclusive uh, kind of workforce, so it kind of everyone from neurodiverse to kind of Generation Z, kind of from all these kind of diverse backgrounds felt included, what advice would you give them? I think um, it would be, something along the lines of being able to point to different um, <clears throat> programs or examples that they've got that have been designed specifically to help help them and their skill set. Um, I think, <clears throat> so for me, just speaking as, as a woman, um, I didn't realise, you know, coming from a defence kind of background, it's so, most industries are quite male dominated, but I guess defence, maybe it feels slightly worse than normal. Um, and then where I am now on the leadership team, there are there are multiple women to the point where it's nearly 50-50. And I didn't realize how much that impacted me and how great it was to see people above me that were like me who were succeeding because I'd never had that before. And then coming here and, and having that, I was like, oh, this is amazing. And it's not something I would have been able to identify myself until it actually happened. So I guess being able to point to programs and examples of where they've helped people that that have their specific neurodiverse traits and how they've managed to tailor programs to support them is 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 the big thing that I would say rather than just saying we've got a course that helps everyone that fit, that that sits under this bucket you know be able to demonstrate a bit more of a tailored approach that can support them and their individual needs interesting so to so what, what do you think, in your, in your opinion, Emma, is the sort of biggest misconception employers have about sort of Gen Z or the next generation? So, again, this was a really funny one. So I spoke to my sister because I think sometimes I fall under the, the same 
trapped of the question that you've just asked and thinking about those misconceptions. So I asked my sister and she said um, she thinks a lot of people think that young people just care about TikTok. They're really flaky and they don't pay attention. And actually, a lot of them are really technologically mind like techno, techno, technologically minded and um, really smart. And I went back to her and I said, it's really funny you said that. Because I'm pretty sure as a millennial, when I was coming through university, that's exactly what news articles said about my generation. <laughs> Except, like, obviously not TikTok. They probably said Facebook or Instagram or something. But they said, I'm sure I felt exactly the same thing, that they said we were flaky, we weren't reliable, we were just a social media generation. And the fact that my sister said the same thing about Gen Z was fascinating to me that it's, it, it seemed like it was just the same cycle and I don't know whether it's just you get older and the, your experiences and your mindset just means that you look at the younger generation and think the same thing about what the generation above you thought about them um I just found it really interesting that she said exactly that how I felt yeah. yeah maybe it's like the same narrative you know that, that that's really <laughs> interesting isn't it that, that yeah it's, it's still the same narrative that, that we've got we just think the younger people are just completely flaky <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> they <never> exactly <laughs> yeah they always <laughs> have it easier right it was harder in my day that's what everyone always says <laughs> yeah. so um yeah I found that fascinating absolutely brilliant so Carmen what 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 are your what are your thoughts on that it's I just can so resonate with that so much because I I remember someone saying that to me when I one of my first ever jobs and I was kind of uh, sitting there kind of with a consultant person and I delivered some work and he went oh you know when you first walked in here you know when you were a millennial and stuff I just thought oh god here's another snowflake um <laughs> I just think like yeah. it was in reflection that was so negative but it was just his script yeah, and it yeah. was, you know, and it's nice, it's nice to now, it's not nice, it's actually awful that, you know, your sister saying that as a generation said, and I think something to be really aware of. Um, and I know, um, I know we've spoken, Emma, and you, you kind of mentioned that you, uh, you're actually, I think you're looking after some apprenticeships now, apprentices, apprentices yeah. <laughs> now, and <laughs> I presume they're, they're like the next generation coming through, are you, what, what kind of behaviour are you seeing from them? I mean, yeah, it, it's it's the first time I've really felt old, or at least like middle aged. <laughs> like, you're not old. I, I've had two, and they've both turned twenty one under, under like their placement with me, and I'm like, oh, twenty one. Yeah. <laughs> that's wow. That's not even a small age gap anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I'm used to still being the youngest person in the room, and now I'm definitely not. Really? Um, so, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess it. They still like they're they're still really keen to learn, um, really really enthusiastic to to learn and have new experiences. That I've that, that they've both both been really um, really positive and you know just want to get stuck in and, and experience things. I don't think I've seen any of the headline Gen Z traits where they're all just the TikTok generation. Yeah, um, yeah. I've I've, I've definitely not seen that. Yeah. Well, I'll use I'll use Carmen's word. We, you know, they're not snowflakes. Yeah. <laughs> they are serious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no, that's really, that's good to hear. Um, and I think just uh, finally, I, I just think if you now think back over kind of your network or kind of other people, um, who would you recommend? 
to listen and to hear this podcast? Um, to listen? I don't know. I think, I mean, I think it's great we're three women, right? That that rarely happens. The fact that we've got three women just chatting about their careers, that just doesn't doesn't happen. <laughs> and that, that's amazing. It's super important though, Emma, because you know, it's like that you you've hit on some some really interesting points. The fact that when you're coming out of university, that is really hard, right? When yeah. when, when you're sort of, you know, you you even just moving into the working life is it, it can be really difficult. And I think, you know, the fact that it's that's that's really stressful. I think you took a really interesting route down the marine. I mean, I don't know who else does that, you know. And the fact that you're right, we're three women talking about our careers and we're all a different sort of well, you and Karma might be the same generation, but you know, I'm a totally different generation. And I think it's important to really understand, you know what the new generation are thinking and 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 uh, it is different totally yeah um, yeah but I think um I I had this university professor she doesn't work at the University of Sheffield anymore but she was amazing um and uh she she I did a module this was in my master's year and it, it was about like you know the stereotype of engineers is they like to be sat behind a screen and don't really talk to anyone that's the stereotype so this this module was all about having to go outside of your comfort zone and you had to create a business uh, like a product and a business case around it and market it and and go and speak to people in the real world which was right up my street I don't kind of fit in that engineering box um but she was just incredible and she was so passionate about it and um she's 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 Mexican so she moved to the UK I don't know how read like 20 years ago or something I'm not sure and has just had such a different background and experience and was so passionate about teaching the next generation and bringing them up as um responsible moral and ethical engineers not just teaching them about um the the technical aspects they need to know but being an engineer that's responsible um and she really really lived and breathed that so I definitely say um I'd, I'd recommend having her on I think she'd have some really interesting responses God, everybody needs somebody like that in their life when they when they're coming through education. I think you know. Yeah. I think you know if you've got somebody like that, I think you've really lucked out. Yeah, I know. We've we've spoken occasionally since, um, and kind of actually set up a new university in Hereford, um, called N- I'm going to say it wrong, NMIT or NMIT. I'm not sure, which was taking a different approach to teaching. Um, but yeah, she's. Uh, I'm sure there's be hundreds of people that she's had an impact on. Yeah, brilliant. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. I'd like to thank, thank Carmen for co-hosting this with me. And um, it's been great fun. And, thank you for um, having me. Yeah, that, that, I think there's been loads of learning out of it. So thank you so much, Emma. Definitely learn as well. So no, thank you. I really do appreciate it. And it's, you know, it's all kind of stuff that we'll, you know, take back as well and, I think just hearing from the Generation Z and kind of what their values are now as well. So thank you so much, Emma. Thank you.